Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, hey, welcome back. Uh, This episode, we're going to be talking about all things weather safety, what to do in advance and during uh, bad weather storms of various types. Uh, We're going to talk about heat. Uh, specifically, I live here in Georgia, and heat and humidity is something that we deal with in the summertime every year. So I want to add that to the list, certainly. But we're also going to be talking about the other obvious uh, ones, thunderstorms, hurricanes, tornadoes, and snowstorms, blizzards. Uh, there's, uh, I don't think we've ever had a blizzard here in Georgia, but we certainly have had snowstorms. And uh, as odd as it is to talk about snow, it's just as important for us here in Georgia because if nothing else, Georgia tends not to be as prepared or as well prepared as places, states, and cities that typically deal with or are used to getting snow. So we're going to be talking about all of that, those and uh, what you need to do uh, ahead of time, what each one is and what it might look like, and then uh, some things to do to make yourself and your family safer uh, when the time comes. Before we get started, I wanted to talk about a few things um, that you should keep in mind regardless of the weather that you're experiencing. And, you know, the first one, and some of these might be more obvious, and um, then we'll talk about some gear and some preparation you should be making ahead of time as well. But, you know, starting with that, uh, you should always be prepared and get prepared i should say ahead of time don't wait until you're in the middle of that thunderstorm or that tornado to then decide oh i should have gathered this or where can i find that or where are we going to go and does the family know what to do the goal here is to prep and plan ahead of time and you know getting information like from podcasts like this one is is a starting place so i encourage you to prepare and plan ahead of time and not wait until you've experienced a severe weather situation to come out the other side to realize what you should have done i'll give you that piece of advice now in the case of some severe weather uh, such as tornadoes or hurricanes or flash floods, for example, if the authorities say to get out, then pay attention and act on that information. Sure, you can try to stay behind and batten down the hatches, but if the advice is to evacuate the area, I would highly encourage folks to take that, heed that advice seriously and act upon it. And look, if you're paying attention to things ahead of time, or you know there's the potential threat of a weather storm of some type ahead of time the sooner you act the better because for in the cases of evacuation just as an example if you wait until the nth hour so is everyone else and now you're stuck so the sooner that you act upon information the better and you know with that being said as i mentioned in your preparations and planning have a plan Communicate that plan and then practice it. Know where those evacuation routes are. Know what room in the house you're going to get to if you wind up getting stuck in a tornado or a hurricane, etc. Talking about preparation, let's talk about some miscellaneous pieces of equipment now. And this certainly isn't everything, but just some things for you to think about if you hadn't before. 
Uh, and again, in no particular order, some will be cold weather specific. Some can be all year round, but just bear with me as I get through the list. And again, this is just meant to get the juices flowing, thinking about things you may not have done already. But starting with an extra close, uh, extra set of clothes in your vehicle, right? I, when I wrote that note, I was thinking specifically about wintertime. Uh, you're not used to being stuck out in cold weather. You never know. Maybe you get a flat tire and can't help it. Having that extra jacket, having those extra layers of clothing on hand for yourself is great. And if you have kids, you need to consider having those extra warm things for them in the vehicle as well. Having a raincoat or, you know, raincoat and pants is certainly uh, something to consider keeping in your vehicle. As important, if not more important than anything else, is having a good quality first aid kit, a boo-boo bag, if you will, or a blowout bag, a tra- basic trauma kit where you can stop severe bleeding. A um, What they call a GHB bag or a get-home bag. Um, and we've done a podcast in the past about how to make your own get home bag. That was podcast 22. Um, but having a get home bag that includes some food and water in the mix as well. It's important to maintain and keep a full tank of gas, especially if you know, or you've gotten wind, so to speak, that bad weather is imminent. Uh, making sure you have full tank of gas. So if you do have to evacuate or if you do have to get to a secondary location, maybe say your elderly parents and you want to be there for them, having that full tank of gas in a time of need is key. I really like to keep my tank as full as possible most of the time, regardless of the weather, but certainly something to consider in preparation for the weather. Um, In the wintertime, making sure your fluids in the car are good that the antifreeze is not just filled up, but you've actually replaced it. Antifreeze, depending on your vehicle, should be replaced ever so often because it loses its cooling properties over time and over it being used because, you know, it's being rotated through that hot engine all the time. But for the winter months coming up, uh, it's especially important that you ensure that your antifreeze is in uh, good shape. And this is something you also want to check before winter time and the freezing temperatures have gotten here. Something else that I've recently talked about on Instagram is I like to keep blankets in my vehicle. They serve a lot of different purposes or can serve a lot of different purposes. Uh, in the colder months, and something else to consider uh, keeping is changing out your windshield fluid, your windshield wiper fluid wash to the wash that's uh, capable of handling freezing temperatures. The summer mixes typically do not have or do not have, I should say, the same mix, and they will freeze up in the freezing weather. So changing out your windshield wiper fluid is a good idea. Keeping an umbrella at all times is not a bad idea. Uh, Again, you never know if you have to change that uh, flat tire that might could come in handy, especially if you're with someone that can hold it for you while you work. <laughs> I know I mentioned this kind of in context of the get home bag, but just generally speaking, it's a good idea to keep snacks and water on hand in the vehicle. And you want to be sure you have enough for both your children and any pets that you might have along with you too. You know, they need to eat and certainly need to get water, uh, especially if it's in the hot summer months. And then uh, a couple more things real quick here is uh, this doesn't apply to me, but certainly just getting the reminder out is if you have someone, if you or someone in your family is on medication, 
making sure you have that extra medication on hand, especially in case of emergencies where you may not be able to get back home again to get it is a good idea. And then I also recommend, and certainly in context of the get home bag, but whether you're home or in your vehicle, having a weather radio is always good. I keep a hand cranked so it's not dependent on batteries solely. I keep a hand-cranked NOAA weather radio in my get-home bag, and then I have a nicer, uh, it's plugged in most of the time, but it also has battery backups. But I have a Midland uh, NOAA uh, weather radio in the house as well, so I can keep apprised of weather conditions, especially if I get awareness that something might be happening or is already happening nearby. So those are just some things to keep in mind, some things, some equipment to consider keeping if you haven't before, uh, like a good flashlight. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do. And again, it's all in the spirit of thinking about it before you need it and getting prepared and having a plan in place before things, bad things happen or before things go sideways. So I want to talk about heat. And the reason why I want to talk about heat, and I know that Georgia is probably not the hottest place in the U.S., but, you know, we can get pretty steamy in the summer months. And I do literally mean steamy because one of the things that Georgia seems to be very well known for is their humidity in addition to high temperatures. And I can remember some summers in the past where we passed, surpassed the uh, three-digit mark, you know, 103, 105, 106. Uh, it wasn't uncommon. But I think more recently, just maybe within the last, well, I know within the last month, I was looking at my weather station and we had a 96-degree Fahrenheit day with the heat index of 118 Fahrenheit. Uh, the short of that is, is that means when you go outside, it really feels hot and it's miserable. You know, it's one of those days that you walk outside and the heat just knocks you down, right? You're walking to a wall of it. And if you've been in high heat areas, especially high heat where uh, there's a lot of high humidity, you know, that wall that I, I'm talking about. And the reason why I wanted to talk about heat is because it can become very serious, very fast for some groups, depending uh, young children, infants, and then the aging population as well, where heat exhaustion and heat stroke can be a real concern. Uh, heat stroke, of course, being the worst of the two, and it can be deadly, especially for young children or elderly, um, because the symptoms are similar for example the what i'm specifically talking about is the a lot of the symptoms between heat exhaustion and heat stroke are similar and they're the types in some cases it feels like the types of symptoms that you may feel or that are exhibited you might be dismissive of or might discount but you really shouldn't be and i want to talk a little bit about these so heat exhaustion is not quite as serious but it can turn to heat stroke quickly if you're not paying attention. So some of the symptoms, and these are things that they share, but headache, um, you get a slight headache of different types in different areas. Um, you might feel dizzy. You could even faint potentially. You're profusely sweating, crazy sweat, but you might have cold and clammy skin to the touch. There could be vomiting, 
You could have a fast but a very weak pulse. You could get um, you could feel weak or experience some muscle cramps. And you you know one of the big signs of heat exhaustion is you're just excessively thirsty. And this is why it's so important to hydrate and drink plenty of water. Um, with heat stroke, it's those things, but another level of seriousness. So again, the headache, you may experience confusion. You may hallucinate even. You might lose consciousness. Here's the difference. You don't sweat if you're experiencing heat stroke. Or maybe you were sweating profusely and then it suddenly stops and dries up. And instead of sweating, you'll have hot red skin. Uh, you can still experience nausea or vomiting potentially. You have a super fast heart rate and your body temperature, which I know is tough to do unless you can measure that, is above 104. I think for heat exhaustion, it's above 100. And for heat stroke, it's above 104, 105, thereabout. In the case of heat stroke, if you've gotten to that point where you're experiencing heat stroke, you should definitely call 911. We've talked about the differences between heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Uh, let's talk about what to do in both because there's a couple of nuances that you need to know about. You know, in order to avoid, and we should be more about preventive and being proactive than reactive and dealing with something after we've gotten there, is hydrate. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. I know we get busy with what we're doing or we're playing really hard outside or we're mowing grass or whatever it is we're doing and we can get carried away and forget to drink water. This is the most important thing, one of the most important things that you can do to avoid heat exhaustion and heat stroke is to drink. And if you're at the point of being thirsty, you're technically a little later than you should be. You should be hydrating and drinking water or sports drinks um, before you actually start to feel thirsty. And you're like, well, why would I do that? I'm not thirsty yet. That's the point. You should be really keeping your body hydrated, and the way to do that is before your body is telling you it actually needs to be hydrated. But if you start to feel heat exhaustion, again, the headaches, the dizziness, the heavy sweating, especially if you're throwing up or feel sick or you get muscle cramps or you feel weak, you know, the other things that you want to do is get into the shade or ideally go inside for just a few minutes in your AC. Hopefully you have AC, especially if you live where it's hot, but get inside and cool down and maybe lie down. And then, you know, if you're experiencing heat exhaustion, you don't want to chug a gallon of water. You want to sip water. You know, if you got a spray bottle that you can mist your face and around your upper regions, you know, with a cool mist of water, you can do that too but uh cool compresses is another option as a matter of fact because i am out in the yard in the heat uh, mowing my grass and whatever else regularly uh, once a week minimum i actually just got one of these cooling cloths it's uh i think about a foot wide and about 40 inches long you wet it up you wring it out and you wrap it around your, you, you know, you drape it around your neck or over your shoulders. And as the water evaporates, this special material cools down. And I actually am wearing one at this very minute because I knew we'd be talking about heat today and what to do. So, you know, something like this is a good way to use to cool back down with, but even to wear while you're out in the heat in the first place. Of course, if, you know, if you really are so inclined, you can take a cool shower and if you do happen to be sick and feeling nauseous and vomiting and you can't stop vomiting, 
you need to go ahead and call 911 because this could be the beginnings of heat stroke or you could be experiencing heat stroke. And then, you know, once you get to the point of heat stroke, it's no joke. You need to call 911. This can be extremely deadly, especially for the aging population. You probably have heard about, you know, a lot of elderly uh, population being impacted by heat during the summer months. It is a large cause of death in that group. Um, but the idea is, is that if they are experiencing the vomiting, the no sweat, uh, the rapid heart rate and, you know, they're delirious. They're maybe hallucinating, seeing things that really aren't there. You want to move them into a cooler place. Again, bare minimum, the shade, ideally into AC. Use those cold compresses. And here's the difference. If they're experiencing heat stroke, you don't want to give them fluids. We need medical care as quickly as we can get it. Do not give that individual fluids. And in either case, when you're out in the heat, getting that cold beer to cool yourself off is not the way to go. So don't use alcohol to hydrate. Um, if you're done for the day and you come in and you plan on taking that cool shower and hanging out in the AC for the rest of the day, then certainly crack that cold beer if you're so inclined. But when we're talking about hydrating, just to say it for the record, we're never talking about drinking alcohol water and sport drinks but in the case of heat stroke it's important not to give them fluids uh, i want to talk about thunderstorms next and and so why is a thunderstorm dangerous well for a few different reasons uh one is and these are in no particular order but one is high winds and with high winds can come flying debris that can be dangerous it can also mean falling debris, like falling trees, falling and down power lines. It can also be dangerous because of lightning strikes. And lightning strikes can be dangerous because they can hit a tree and start a fire. They can hit electrical transformers and blow out power for an entire neighborhood or street, whatever. And it can also hit you if you happen to be out in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and we'll talk more about these here in a moment. And the other one is floods, flash floods, especially if there's a lot of rain for an extended period of time. Uh, there can be flash floods if you're around uh, bodies of water, streams, rivers, ditches, culverts, etc. And, you know, flooding can occur if the amount of rain that falls just simply exceeds the capacity of the infrastructure in place to to evacuate that water to move that water along so you can either have flooding because there's just simply too much water too fast or you've exceeded and or you've exceeded the infrastructure in place whether that's a natural infrastructure or a man-made infrastructure so those three things are what make thunderstorms dangerous of course, they also apply to tornadoes and hurricanes, but we'll talk more about those coming up. So what should you do in a thunderstorm? Well, you should not be out in it, especially if you're on the water. So the idea is if you're on the lake fishing or skiing or hanging out, whatever it is you're doing, you want to find, get to shore and get to land as quickly as possible because like metal, water conducts electricity really well, as does the human body. Uh, so if you're out on the lake, if you're doing any sort of water sports, you're playing in the stream, looking for crawdads, whatever it is you do, you want to move away from that body of water immediately. 
if you hear thunder or see lightning or even if the clouds are getting black because that could turn into a thunderstorm, right? So you want to get away from bodies of water. That also means you don't want to be taking a bath or shower when there's a big thunderstorm with thunder and lightning going on. And a good way to know is if you're if you're inside a da- potentially dangerous area of the thunderstorm or outside is when you see the lightning flash count 30 seconds if thunder occurs in less than 30 seconds then you're technically still in a potentially dangerous area so you want to be cognizant of that staying away from water staying away from electrical equipment you know it's not a good time to be plugging or unplugging something Um, you want to stay off and i don't even know how many people have them any longer but you want to stay off of corded phones you know cell phones Cordless phones, those are perfectly fine for the most part, but corded phones you want to stay off of because, again, electricity carries through wires. So you want to stay off of electrical equipment and corded phones. You don't want to lie down or lean up against concrete. It's not that concrete is conductive necessarily. It's the steel or whatever it's made out of, iron, rebar that they use to strengthen the concrete structure, whether that's a floor in a garage or wall. Uh, It's a good idea to stay away from concrete structures like that because of the metal inside reinforcing the concrete. That's what will conduct or can conduct uh, the electricity. And then you don't want to be outside really in a thunderstorm, especially near trees. Um, And you don't want to be in groups. So if you're in a group, spread out. If you're near trees, get away from the tree. At least twice as far away from the tree as the tree is tall is a good rule of thumb. You obviously don't want to be walking around out in the thunderstorm with your golf clubs up in the air. And if you do, and you want to come down off of high areas, right? Um, because you're closer to the storms, you're potentially closer to the lightning coming down. So you want to get down off of high places. You know, um, many of you may not have ever done it, but you can climb or hike stone mountain which is a landmark here in georgia you don't want to be on top of stone mountain uh if you don't have to be in a thunderstorm Um, so coming inside is the best course of action and getting away from porches and metal sheds and windows is also a good idea Uh, if you are stranded out in a big field and you feel your hair stand up on your arms or the back of your necks, or you feel, you know, like there's literally electricity in the air, you want to get down and make yourself as small as possible. Don't lay down on the ground because you're making, you're spreading your surface out, giving their yourself more surface you're making yourself a bigger surface what you want to do is basically kneel all the way down to where you're practically sitting on your heels if you can you want to tuck your head down and you want to put your hands over your ears and your the goal is is that you're trying to make yourself into a small a surface a, a tight as a of a ball as you possibly can um, if you can manage to even Uh, lift up on the balls of your toes while you're down in that position that's even better because you're also wanting to minimize the amount of contact patch that you have with the ground that's worst case scenario best case is come in out of the weather and that'll be the safest uh, action that you can take if you're stuck out on the road then slow down Uh, The idiots that drive crazy fast and or tailgate or slam on their brakes, please don't be one of those fools. 
Uh, ideally, in a severe thunderstorm, you're either going to want to pull over, especially if it's hailing, because that speed, in addition to the hail falling, you run the risk of your windshields being busted out that much more. So in the case of hail, you might want to consider pulling over or getting to a shelter you know, near a building or a gas station. Uh, you want to slow down uh, because you don't want to find yourself hydro sliding, hydroplaning, which is what happens when there's more water on the roads, standing water on the roads, than what the tread in your tires can evacuate and dissipate. And that's what causes the hydroplaning. So you want to slow down to where if you feel slipping and if you've driven long enough, you know what slipping feels like. We've all done it. Um, if you feel yourself slipping and slipping more regularly than not, you know you're still going too fast. So slow down. Uh, one thing I cannot emphasize enough is please do not slam on your brakes. You should be anticipating slower. You should be t anticipating potential for there to be debris or hazards. You should be going slow enough and maintaining enough bit distance between you and what's in front of you so that you don't need to slam on your brakes. If you do hit a puddle of water or there's a lot of standing water on the roads or highways, that is not the point to slam because you can actually cause yourself to hydroplane. So slow down, maintain good distance between you and whatever's ahead of you, truck, car, whatever it is, and do not slam on your brakes. Let's talk about tornadoes next. What causes a tornado in the first place? And if you're lucky, you don't live near a area that's prone to tornadoes, but we even have some quote unquote tornado alleys here in parts of Georgia. They certainly exist in Alabama and then, you know, more out west is very well known for having tornadoes and on a regular basis. But given the right conditions and the clouds and the winds and the weather, tornadoes could theoretically strike anywhere at any time. Just some areas, because of the way the weather moves and the winds blow, they're more conducive to tornadoes. But what causes a tornado? And in short, a tornado is caused where... Warm air is pulled up and is spinning, and cold air, which is generating rain and hail, is coming down, and they wind up spinning together. And typically, those winds run horizontal with the earth. So think of it running parallel with the earth, so to speak. And then those winds, warm air, warm, moist air going up, and cold air coming down, they can go vertical. And that's when you'll see low-hanging clouds and clouds eventually form a funnel and touch down and create that tornado. And tornadoes are ranked on, I can't remember the name of the official system, but they're basically ranked from one to five, one being the weakest, lightest, and five being the heaviest. Uh, a five uh, E5 uh, e class tornado can have winds of over 200 miles an hour. Uh, when I've actually been through at least one tornado that I can remember, I think I've been around some tornadoes other than that in or near the area. But back in college, I actually happened to be camping with a group of guys up in uh, on the border of Georgia, Tennessee, and we were in the woods and it came a bad storm and as it turns out a tornado came over the top of us we knew this because the next day of the destruction and the trees that are snapped off halfway you know you've seen that or you've probably well you may or may not have seen it but where a tornado cuts its path 
at least a weaker tornado, it'll snap off trees, not exactly at the halfway mark, but stalks of trees will be left in the ground. Let's just say that of X height. And it's bizarre. You'll just see an entire path of trees snapped off equal height from the ground. And so what had happened and evidently what saved us is we were kind of down in the valley between two mountains. And I use that term loosely because we don't have real mountains in Georgia, Tennessee. They're big, big hills. But we got lucky. Our campsite was down in the valley. And what that tornado had done, and I have no idea how strong it was or what class it was, but it was strong enough to scare some of us. Anyway, it had come up and over the top of the mountain to our left skimmed over the top of where we were down in the valley and then touched down on the hill uh, to the right of us and kept on going and then dissipated. And the next morning when we drove out, we could see that destruction and see the path that the tornado had cut. And, you know, it was a smaller tornado, so it's, it's swath, uh, it's pat path wasn't that wide, but I remember very distinctly the high winds and the freight train And the other thing that you'll experience at least some of the time with tornadoes is the sky turns green. If you've ever been in a tornado or nearby where a tornado is coming down, yeah, the skies turn green. Now, they're certainly gray, grayish green, but they can turn gray. And if they're not gray, they're typically very dark. Another little known fact about tornadoes, at least I feel like, when you tell people they're like, really, I would never thought that is that when a tornado is coming, the uh, rain stops. Now I'm not saying it does it all the time, but you have to be cautious about when rain stops and there's the expected tornado because just because the rain stopped doesn't mean the storm's gone away. In a lot of cases, rain stops right when the tornado is coming. It's kind of interesting. And then the other big surprise for people, and unless you've been through it, and if you had, you'll never forget it. Uh, But if you've never been through one, it's hard to describe. But a tornado coming through sounds just like a freight train in the sky minus the bells and whistles. I kid you not. It's been described like that. I never really thought of it until I witnessed it and heard it for myself. It sounds just like a, a freight train rumbling down the tracks minus the bells and whistles, that engine sound. And once you've heard it and figured out it's in the sky, you'll understand. So you want to be on the lookout for that. So what can you do? Um, well, when it comes to tornadoes, seek shelter. You don't want to be out in a tornado. And another thing you don't want to do, if you happen to be in your car, you do not want to try to outrun a tornado. You will not do it. Uh, if you're home, you want to get to the lowest point in the house as you possibly can, ideally a basement, and you want to move away from the exterior And if you do go to a basement, you don't want to find yourself, say, underneath that piano or that gun safe, uh, because there is the risk that those super heavy objects up on the floor above could come through should that tornado really get a hold of your house and do it a number, tear it up. So you want to get to the basement. If you do not have a super low place like that, like a basement or a storm shelter like some homes out in the country have where there's areas more prone to tornadoes as an example then what you want to do ideally is get to an interior room ideally away from any windows because there's going to be glass front flying that's not good and you want to hunker down in there 
Um, ideally, you want to protect your head and neck. And, you know, if you could do it, a great way is to get into your bathtub and pull a mattress over you if you've got it. If not, pillows and blankets. And, of course, you've got kids to deal with. And hopefully you've got a priority on getting them to a safe spot. So maybe put them in the tub with pillows and blankets over the top of them. But, again, you want to get to an interior room and get away from the outside walls and those windows as best you can. If you happen to be outside and one is coming, again, don't try to outrun it in your car. You want to try to get to a a building that has a shelter or a basement in it or an interior room. If that's not an option, then what you want to do is um, stay away from bridges and overpasses and head to the ditches and the ravines and lay down in them. And again, uh, you want to cover your head and neck as best as you possibly can. So lay down flat, use those ditches and ravines. If you can't get to a building or house or shelter where you can get in, you know, stay as sheltered from the storm as you possibly can. I know I mentioned this early on, but I want to mention a couple of terms and it. You'll see it in all cases, whether it's thunderstorms, tornadoes, I think even in snowstorms and blizzards. Always hear watch and warning. And for the life of me, in my entire life, those terms always get me confused because I think they're the opposite of what they actually are. So let's talk about them. And in some cases, like um, I think hurricanes and snowstorms, there can be even other levels uh, talked about in consideration. But generally speaking, things are labeled as watch or warning. So what are they? A watch is when conditions are right that the thing that you're worried about is possible or potential. So in the case of thunderstorms, a thunderstorm, a severe thunderstorm, the conditions are right. It is potential or possible. Same with tornado. A watch does not mean that the weather storm that's being discussed has been seen even though you'd think watch meant that and that's what's been confusing to me watch just means that conditions are primed conditions are right on the flip side a warning is just that it has either been um it's either happening or it's you know it's either happening or it's about to happen you know, at your point or near your point. So in the case of a tornado warning, that means a funnel cloud has been spotted and or a tornado has touched down nearby. Uh, Same with thunderstorms. Basically, at that point, a warning is this thunderstorm's happening. It might not have gotten to you yet, but it's it's right around the corner, so to speak. So I wanted to I wanted to talk about the watch and warnings because my entire life I've gotten those confused. And to me, I still argue that a watch means I can see the thing, but it doesn't. So a watch is the potential, the possibility. A warning is it's happening or it's about to happen. It's been spotted. So we've talked a little bit about uh, lightning and, of course, the presence of high winds and why high winds are so dangerous, whether you're talking thunderstorms, hurricanes, or tornadoes, is simply just because of the fly, the potential for flying debris. I mean, we've all heard about in tornadoes how a two-by-four can be pushed through a tree. Um, the winds can be quite devastating in any of those events, but certainly in the case of tornadoes and hurricanes. So flying debris is a concern. 
uh, as is the potential for trees falling, power lines for falling, whatever's up high coming down, signs being, you know, ripped up out of the ground, whatever it could be. And you got to know that at some wind speeds that the smallest piece of debris can turn into something that can hurt you severely or potentially kill you. Um, so that's one of the reasons why these sorts of storms really merit either you getting inside to shelter or evacuating, because in some cases you're not going to be able to escape the high wind or the, you know, the impact that that high wind makes. And of course, we've talked about lightning, the importance of either getting inside and out away from it altogether, getting off of bodies of water, staying away from electrical equipment, all of those things that you probably have already figured out for yourself. Uh, talk about flooding and i know we haven't talked about hurricanes yet but we've talked about thunderstorms and tornadoes so now what the heck is a good point to talk about flooding and we mentioned it earlier it's really when so much rainwater is coming down or so much water is coming in so fast that it's either a quantity thing or a quantity thing in a short period of time. Right. And what I mean by that in a thunderstorm and tornado, the, the rain quantities could be so fast that it generates a flash flood. In other words, it goes well beyond the infrastructure again, whether man-made or natural to hold back and contain generally the normal amounts of water and it has no choice but to go up those banks or flow into areas that it wouldn't normally flow into. And it can happen very quickly. And that's why fl flash floods especially can be so dangerous. The other reason why flash floods can be dangerous is say you're in your vehicle on the road. The moving currents can be extremely overwhelming very quickly and if you've ever been canoeing or kayaking or tubing down a river i've i've kayaked at one point in time the nanahala a few times the green the timber i've tubed some streams and some little rivers up in tennessee so if you've ever been around those you know that when the water level is up it's usually flowing extremely fast at least faster than when the levels are lower so that's just a general rule of nature water when it's high is flowing fast and water when it's low can flow slower with that being said in context of flash floods, that immediacy of water coming through is going to be fast. I mean, it's exceeded whatever limits that were in place to hold it back. It's coming through. A person can be swept away out of control in as little as six inches depth of water. A vehicle can be swept away in 18 to 24 inches of water. That's not a whole lot of depth. But one of the reasons why it's dangerous is because you can't necessarily see how deep that water is. So when it comes to flooding, you utilize some common sense, right? If there's been blockades and barricades put up across a road, don't try to be the smart person and go around them to get across. You may not know what you're getting into. Again, it takes as little as six inches of water to swipe sweep away a person potentially, and as little as actually one foot of water can sweep away some smaller cars. But even at the two-foot mark, you're talking about SUVs, trucks, heavy vehicles being swept downstream. 
And so don't go around barricades. Don't cross over overpasses and bridges that clearly have high and or fast moving water. You, you know the ones. You've seen streams when they've been up higher, rivers when they're flowing super fast. If you've got a small bridge on a two-lane road somewhere and you see that water might be just skimming the bottom of that bridge and it's moving faster than you know, know it normally moves, don't try to pass it because that fast-moving and or high water could have eaten away the infrastructure, the support mechanisms for that bridge's that bridge or overpass and you may just be the vehicle that puts it on its last leg so don't cross bridges when you see that unless you can tell the depth of water don't try to cross flooded roads and pathways it's just not worth it again your vehicle can be swept away a lot easier than you think and that water when it comes high and fast it can do a lot of damage and on top of that it could be carrying debris that you may or may not see that can cause damage to your vehicle and or come through the glass and get to you or pin you up against something and block your side of the vehicle where it makes it way harder, if not next to impossible, for you to escape that vehicle. So let's talk about what to do if you do get caught in a flash flood or you make the mistake of trying to cross somewhere you probably shouldn't have what should you do? Well, anytime there's a flood, your goal should be to get to high land, right? That's just your, that should be your go-to. Get to high land as best you can. If you're trapped in the vehicle, what you want to try to do is get the window down and get out of the window, either get on top of the roof and or ideally try to swim to shore and again, get to high land, get out of there. If you can't get your window down, then your next option is to open one of the doors in your vehicle. However, depending on where that water level is, you may not be able to open those doors anymore because the pressure inside your cabin, inside your vehicle, does not equal the pressure that the water is exerting against your vehicle. In order to be able to more easily open that door, you have to wait to the pressure balances. And that's going to be about the point that the water's up to your neckline while you're in your vehicle. So keep that in mind. If you can't get that window down or open, you're going to have to wait till the pressure equalizes. And then the goal is once you do get that door open, you know, to get to the shore and get to high land and obviously call 911 if you still have that capability. Another thing you can do is if you find yourself in a river or getting towed away, you know, in flash flood water is to turn on your hazards and your headlights just to make it easier to hopefully spot your vehicles. One of the things I also recommend is keeping some sort of seat belt cutter and glass breaker in your vehicle at all times and it doesn't do you any good if it's in the trunk if you caught yourself in one of these predicaments whether it's a rollover in a car a regular car accident for example or flash floods you might want to consider keeping a glass breaker and seatbelt cutter with you and keep it you know in the center console maybe tied to your uh headrest next on the passenger's chair or even behind your somewhere in the immediate vicinity where you can get to it break that window and get out uh, cut that seat belt if you happen to be really nervous which you're likely to be and you can't hit the button to release it you know just some things to consider and again keeping them convenient and within reach is also key 
So the general philosophy you should have is when it comes to floodwaters, when you're faced with do I cross or not, there's a saying that some entities have put out that says, turn around, do not drown. Turn around, do not drown. So if you get to it, go a different way, figure a different route, or find a place to stay for the night for those waters to subside. And another thing, flash floods can or flooding can last for several days. So, you know, hopefully you've gotten out because you've paid attention, you've heeded the warnings. But what happens if you stay, you know, floodwaters aren't good. They're not good for a lot of reasons. You know, if things have gotten bad, there could be chemicals in there washed downstream. There could be sewage. There could be wild animals. There's graveyards or cemeteries in the mix. Bodies have been washed up before. We all remember New Orleans a number of years back. Um, Floodwaters are not a place to play if you find yourself trapped in them. The idea is, again, to get the high ground, and that may just need to be the roof of your house if things get really bad. And a couple other things to keep in mind about floods, and especially if you think you're brazen enough to try crossing, is one is... If it's nighttime, you think it's hard to see how deep the water is or how much debris floating by or cruising by during the day. At nighttime, it's almost impossible to know anything about what's going in in that water. So you certainly don't want to attempt anything at night. And the other thing you have to realize, too, is that your vehicles are not amphibious. If you get into flood water on a roadway and it's deeper than what your air cleaner is positioned in your car, as an example, that water is going to get sucked up into that intake and your engine's going to stall. Now you're stuck. How fast is that water moving? If it's ever so slightly too deep, deeper than what it should have been, you were likely to be swept away. And because your engine stalled, you got no options. So those are just some things to, to take away. Like I said, as little as six inches to sweep a person away, less than two feet to sweep big vehicles downstream, and that's not good. I know we've talked about not crossing roadways and things like that in our vehicles. When it comes to flooding, you generally want to stay away from streams, rivers, ditches, culverts. You know, they're designed to carry that additional water away. If things are super flooded, the water's likely risen past the point, you know, past the banks, past the point that those ditches or culverts were intended to have, you know, the water that they were designed and intended to carry away. That water will be moving extremely fast. So you want to stay away from any place where there could be or where there's normally moving water because rest assured, it'll be a lot more now with the flood and it'll be moving tremendously more fast than it would be under normal circumstances and rain allotment, so to speak. And so that's something to keep in mind for your children as well as don't let them go play near those things either if there's been a lot of rain and water coming down. So I want to talk about one more aspect of floods. The number one cause of death in floods is people trying to cross flooded areas. So keep that in mind as well. Talking about lightning strikes and high winds, you know, some of the things and and storms in general you know, damaged properties, houses, structures being damaged beyond the point of being able to be occupied, power lines coming down, trees coming down, gas lines being burst. All these things are hazards that could occur during or after a storm. 
And so, you know, you want, you want to avoid power lines at all, downed power lines at all costs. Uh, and if you've got a gas leak somewhere, you want to call the fire department or, and or the utilities companies immediately. And just, you know, if, if you think the house appears to be too unstable to enter, don't enter a building or a house, even if it's your own, that appears to have had structural damage. And you can tell, you know, cracked windows, the front porch being cockeyed sideways, uh, cracks in the side of the walls. Um, these things you need to be paying attention to and not just from one angle of the house. There's the front, back, and two sides. Uh, if you absolutely must go in, then just be sure that you feel like you've done your job looking over to make sure that structure is still stable enough for you to enter because you don't want to go in and have that building collapse on you after its integrity has been compromised. Again, avoid the down power lines and um, again, I say if you smell gas or hear gas hissing, you want to call the fire department immediately and possibly the gas utilities company. One thing I will tell you is that if gas has been turned off to a property, you don't want to just turn it back on like the water's receded. You're trying to move back in. Your gas was shut off. Maybe you even sh shut it off to be proactively keep things safer. You don't want to turn that gas back on. You don't know what in the house is going to react to gas suddenly being coming back through the pipes again. You want to make sure that the utilities companies are doing that because they know all the safety procedures and things that need to be in place before that gas can be turned back on. So I just want to mention that as well. You're probably thinking, my gosh, how am I going to remember all this, especially in a in an event where I'm needing to remember this stuff? And, you know, when bad things happen, it's going to be natural to be stressed, to feel anxiety, maybe even for a moment freeze or be paralyzed not knowing what to do. And this goes back to where I started this podcast and saying it's better to be prepared and get your equipment together ahead of time to be caught off guard when it happens because when it happens you are likely to be stressed out you are likely to forget things you are likely to even freeze up so first and foremost prepare and get your gear together beforehand ahead of time and then when you find yourself in a stressful situation it doesn't just have to be weather conditions right talking about stress in general is we want to focus on our breathing and we've talked about in podcasts and before some breathing techniques where, you know, for example, uh, combat breathing, you take a breath in for four seconds, you hold it for se four seconds, you let it out for four seconds, and then you hold it again at the bottom of the breath for four seconds. And you just keep repeating that. There are lots of breathing techniques out there. I'll let you look on the interwebs for yourself, but focus on your breathing. Getting your breathing under control can go a long way towards calming yourself down, at least to the point where you might be able to take that next step and go into action, which is most important. Action in, in cases of emergency and strife and things going sideways, taking action is always better than inaction and remaining frozen. Uh, the other thing that you can do is positive self-talk. I know some people poo-poo that, but I think there is some merit. And, you know, telling yourself it's going to be okay, walking through, you know, whatever list of things you need to get or do on the way out, you know, whatever it is, 
positive self-talk, I believe, is a powerful tool, maybe more so in some certain cases than others, but just something to consider. And then, you know, don't think negatively about what's happening to you and what's going to happen. Think about the positive outcome. What that can be, whatever. Think about it having a positive outcome, and you're more likely in that positive frame of mind if you can get there. You're more likely to have that positive outcome or a positive outcome than if you're really just down in the dumps and thinking you're you're not seeing a way out of this and can't have it. Be thinking about the rainbow on the other side, so to speak. So breathing, positive thoughts, positive energy just to kind of keep that stress and anxiety in check, that fear in check. Look, you're going to experience fear. We're all going to experience fear. It's acting through it, though, acting as though, you know, we got to take that action. We got to keep moving forward, right? So just some tips there to think about because that's all going to be a part of it, too. And so let's talk about hurricanes. Hurricanes is like, can be the worst of the worst of storms, it seems like. Hurricanes typically happen on the coastal regions, right? They can happen on the Atlantic, like I think June through November is our typical hurricane season. They can happen down in the Pacific around Hawaii, and they can actually happen on the West Coast as well. Uh, Their seasons vary a little bit, but generally speaking, June through November is hurricane season, and they can be horrific. Um, High winds, storm surge. The number one cause of death in hurricanes is actually the storm surge, and that's when you know uh, the tide is already controlled by the lunar positioning and all of that good stuff but in the case of storm surge and hurricanes it's the wind that's driving the rise in water level and then you've got the waves on top of that right and that storm surge can go inland for quite a ways Um, and a lot of times people are caught off guard with storm surge because it can seemingly come out of nowhere again not only are the normal tides in effect But the winds and then the additional waves caused by the winds are really the deadly piece. And it can catch you off guard because there doesn't even necessarily have to be a storm in your immediate area. As I've understood, um, storm surge can happen with a storm a thousand miles off the coast. So that's really uh, incredibly dangerous when it comes to hurricanes. And then that those flooding waters and that, you know, onset of additional water can go inland for a long, long distances. So flooding, we've just talked about flooding, but flooding really applies when it comes to hurricanes. The other thing that can be dangerous, which hopefully you're nowhere near the water, especially when there's storm surges going on, is riptides. Um, riptides are tides that are going um, perpendicular with the shoreline, so to speak, and they're going opposite so they can pull you out uh, in a matter of no time whatsoever. If you do ever find yourself in a rip current, you want to try as you're going to have to fight it because your natural tendency is to get back to shore. But what you want to do is swim parallel with shore until you've gotten out of that rip current because rip currents can take you out to sea. And there's been a lot of people lost 
uh, due to rip currents and them fighting it. Because the other reason why you don't want to swim to shore in a rip current is because it's going the opposite direction and you're going to tire yourself out. And that's why people drown in a lot of cases. So if you do happen to get in a rip current of any type, which can happen anywhere, remember to swim parallel. Give you that little uh, side tip there. Hurricanes can be dangerous not only because of the storm surge, but also because of the extremely high winds that are experienced. And then on the outskirts of a hurricane, there can be many multiple tornadoes form. Now, they may not be the most powerful tornadoes in all cases, but tornadoes can be happening on the outskirts as the hurricane itself can happen. And then as the eye of the hurricane passes over, winds are blowing super strong one way. When the eye passes over, it's likely that winds are going to be passing the same speed in the opposite direction, really causing upheaval and things being torn about because, you know, it's like uh, moving something back and forth, right? The chances of it coming loose is pretty good. At least that's what I have in my mind about it. And I've never been in a hurricane but uh, I get it. Uh, nasty stuff. We just spent a lot of time about talking about flooding. The key here is, I think, again, to get to the high ground. Um, and a, I think the most important piece is the evacuation piece when it's imminent, because there's all kinds of nasty stuff that can come out of a hurricane certainly and i think in preparation for a hurricane obviously having all your gear and things pulled together having a plan and because evacuation is mostly imminent uh knowing what evacuation routes are ahead of time is key not saying that you have to practice evacuating but knowing where the evacuation routes are ahead of time is certainly important especially if you're traveling into an area you're not familiar with and I would also say that at the earliest warning, uh, warnings provided, maybe consider getting out. Sure, you might cut your vacation short, whatever it is, but you've gotten out ahead of most of the crowd because you can bet, I will bet, that most everybody's going to wait until that evacuation notice has been placed. If you jump the gun, so to speak, and you're a little smarter and play your cards right and go ahead and take action and get out of town ahead of time, you're going to be better off for it. So I think that's something to certainly consider. Um, when it comes to the flooding from a hurricane, the water can be found hundreds of miles from shore, depending on how bad it is. So the flooding is certainly something you want to avoid. That's why evacuation is so key because the area for potentially a lot of miles are going to be impacted. And that's not even to mention the destruction of beaches, the erosion of beaches, all of that fun stuff in the mix as well. So I think the best course of action when a hurricane is imminent, A, pay attention and let weather be a part of your travel plan, plans, planning, right? Don't maybe look to go to a coastline or a beach that's known for having the worst hurricanes at the time you're thinking about taking your vacation there, use the weather forecast and the weather history as a means of determining whether that's the best vacation destination for yourself or not. And whether you're vacationing there or living there, I think, you know, certainly heeding the notices to get out and evacuate when they do happen is key. Even being proactive and getting out ahead of time when there's even the potential, uh, 
is the best course of action. Uh, one of the other things that I'm going to mention here before we talk about snowstorms and blizzards is our smartphones. Everybody wants to be a social media star. Some people want to be a local news star and send in their pictures and videos of storms as they occur. And there's certainly been a lot of videos posted online of hurricanes and tsunamis and bad thunderstorms and tornadoes and all of that good stuff. It's fascinating and interesting and fun and scary and if we can capture it for prosperity purposes or historical purposes or for infamy and fame okay but a smartphone and being famous should be the last thing on our minds we should be putting the safety of ourselves and our loved ones first and foremost and if we can film from afar once we've gotten safe or things are safe uh, it may not make for as interesting or as cool of videos or pictures, but you'll have your life. And that's just something that I'm just going to throw in here, too, on a kind of related note. Things, property, belongings are all replaceable. Yeah, you may have lost some money. Maybe you didn't have the insurance policy. You should have whatever. Things, property, belonging are all replaceable, even if it takes a while. You, your family, your sons, your daughters, people are not replaceable. So let's talk about snowstorms. There's all kinds of snowstorms possible. I even heard, I even learned recently of something called ground blizzards. I'd never heard of such a thing. Of course, I don't live anywhere where those things can happen, but um, ground blizzard, just while we're on that note, is when a snowstorm's already happened. There's fresh powdered snow on the ground, and suddenly winds from up north come down and create a blizzard from the snow that's already on the ground. And it's dangerous, A, because of the high winds and because of the cold air moving, uh, but also because much like a natural occurring snowstorm or blizzard, whiteouts can occur with ground blizzards because of all the loose loose freshly fallen powdered snow that's on the ground and so the cold air and the whiteouts can be just as dangerous in a ground blizzard as a regular blizzard and so what's the difference between a snowstorm and a blizzard well i'm glad you asked a blizzard is usually involving winds that are sustaining 35 miles an hour or greater that seems to be the standard rule of what classifies a blizzard and of course they're dangerous because the high winds are going to be blowing, you know, the extra cold air around at a rate that normally wouldn't be happening. So you run the risk of getting cold really fast, right? Wind is where wind chill factor comes into play. And why wind chill is actually so dangerous is because wind chill is when there's so much wind or that the wind is ever present enough to blow the body heat that your body does create away, making it harder for your body to keep itself warm. And that's why wind chill becomes dangerous is because your body's not able to stay warm or warm up again as fast as it normally would if there was no wind. 
So if you combine that with the extra cold air that's happening in the wind, now you can see how things can get really cold really fast, which is where things like hypothermia and frostbite come into play, especially if you're not dressed well, especially if a storm comes in and catches you off guard where maybe you shed some of your uh, cold weather wear. Um, this is why, you know, layering and then keeping your warm clothes nearby, like we talked about considering keeping extra warm clothes in your vehicle, you know, is so important because if you get caught off guard and there's high winds or a blizzard or even ground blizzards coming up out of nowhere, you, you're likely to be uh, caught off guard if you're not prepared. Um, so a blizzard is 35 miles an hour plus. A snowstorm is pretty much anything beneath that, but obviously the cold, the high winds, the um, you know the threat of wind chill, and not being dressed properly, or wearing cotton, you know, um, or not dressing in layers—all these things add up to potential hazards. Uh, so you want to have the gear ahead of time, you know, your warm clothing ahead of time. You want to dress in layers. You want to be paying attention to the weather forecast ahead of time before you go out, before you travel, whatever it is. And when it comes to being out on the road, really, especially in the case of ice, being out on the road is the last place you want to be in a snowstorm or blizzard or a nor'easter. You know, nor'easters are severe snowstorms up and down the eastern coast from Georgia to New Jersey. They can get really nasty really fast with high winds, a lot of snow dumped in a short period of time. It's just not really a good time to be out on the roads. The uh, rules of the road still apply if you've got to get out. Um, first of all, don't get out unless you have to. The rules of the road when bad weather, when bad rains and thunderstorms are happening are still apply. Slow down. Keep tons of distance between you and the person in front of you. And don't slam on your brakes. Now, here in Georgia, that goes doubly because here in Georgia, it's not often that we really get fluffy, powdery snow, even though we do. We're more known for our ice storms and our sleet. Uh, in those cases, the roads here can get extremely slick, extremely fast. And because we're unprepared, the infrastructures, even though we've gotten better over the years, uh, it's just not there compared to places that are used to it. And then you could question the driving capabilities of probably 75 plus percent of the population here as well, which really goes uh, not very far in being safe when out on the road, but certainly slowing down, increasing that distance between you and the person in front of you and not slamming on your brakes is key. And that's even if you got to get out of it in the got get out in it in the first place. Uh, back in 2014, we were hit with what's been lovingly dubbed Snowmageddon or Snowpocalypse here in the Atlanta area. And uh, it uh, we sat around the office. I remember the day very well. We, we got wind something was coming. Like a lot of things here in Georgia, it's never as bad as they sometimes say it might be. In this case, it turned out being way worse than what they made it out to be. My drive to the office at the time was 35 minutes without any traffic at all, which was not the norm, but just giving you the comparative place. Uh, it took me three and a half hours that evening to get home. I think we started getting wind of things going south about noon that particular afternoon. 
by 4, 430, everybody had made the decision, we probably need to leave the office. Traffic was already so bad that we had two uh, parking decks, two parking garages that were side by side, and the main primary entrance for each were facing across from one another. The amount of cars that were trying to get out of the parking deck alone and go down a decline ramp to the street below was backed up. I remember very distinctly this BMW being right on my back bumper, even though the ramp was getting covered in ice already and some of us were sliding. This individual behind me was right on my tail. And so idiocy and chaos had ensued before we even got on the main street. After that, as I said, it made took me three and a half hours to make it home in pretty treacherous conditions because we got so much snow so fast that there was nothing to be done. Obviously, the road crews couldn't keep ahead of it. Some people, it took 12 hours plus to get home, and some people didn't make it home. They had to stay in their vehicles. They got trapped in their vehicles, or they had to go to a, a hotel somewhere on their path home. It was horrible. So, you know, that's another piece of advice I'll give around snowstorms is when you get a, a an inkling that something might be happening, again, hopefully you've planned and prepared and gotten your gear together a, ahead of time, but I'm so glad that I had that jacket and those extra clothes and another stocking cap, you know, whatever it was that that year in my trunk because I know I was better prepared than most people, and I was also very fortunate that I made it home um, and of course I had to go a lot of back roads and I drove very slow and, uh, made it home. And I, I was lucky that I made it home before a lot of people did. So, you know, listening to the weather, taking action to have your gear and be prepared ahead of time. And then being smart. If you do find yourself out in the weather is the best course of action, no matter what. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. We've talked about heat. We've talked about thunderstorms. We've talked about hurricanes. We've talked about snowstorms. We've talked about tornadoes. We've talked about the difference between watch and warning, which still messes me up. And we've talked about the importance of preparation and getting our gear together before things happen. So with that, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know we've covered a lot. I know I talked longer than I thought I would, but I thought this was an important topic to cover. And look, if you think family and friends can benefit from listening to this, please share it with them um, and and leave us that good rating too, if you don't mind. So I appreciate you listening. Uh, Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next time.